The second scripture reading today is from the Gospel according to Matthew. It can be found on page 3 in the New Testament portion of your Pew Bibles. Now when Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew to Galilee. He left Nazareth and made his home in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what had been spoken through the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled, land of Zebulun, land of Naphtali, on the road by the sea, across the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And for those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to proclaim, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. As he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. As he went from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, in the boat with their father Zebedee, mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing every disease and every sickness among the people. This is the word of the Lord. On most Fridays, my husband and I take the dog on a long walk to Lake Erie along present-day Lake Road in Bay Village, which before the year 1600 was an important trail for the Native Americans called the Erie. We stop at the Cleveland Metro Park's Huntington Reservation to look out over the water. We descend the steep steps from the short cliff, I'm told is formed by a long ago glacier. And we stand on what passes for a beach in northeastern Ohio and what Clevelanders affectionately call the North Coast. The photo on your bulletin cover is from one of those days a particularly clear one when the skyline of the city was visible on the horizon, and I don't have to tell you how rare that is sometimes. It is not the Sea of Galilee, but the sand on that beach and the waters of Cahoon Creek, which feed into the lake, have become holy ground for us. So many important conversations have happened on those walks. Critical decisions have been made while we're looking at the water, Silence has been held as we think about what's to come. And when the water seems as vast as an ocean from that lakeshore, we remind ourselves there is an end in sight eventually as we wonder what happens next for us, for our children, for our churches, and for the world. Other times, we just talk about house projects and the budget, and I'm laughing at his jokes or... We're picking up what our dog drops in the neighbor's yards along the way. So it's not all Jesus stuff. <laughs> or is it? 
Because the day Jesus called his first four disciples, as told so succinctly in Matthew's Gospel, it was a pretty ordinary day by the lakeshore with people I'm talking, the people talking I'm guessing about pretty ordinary things. Simon and Andrew, fish guts under their fingernails, casting a net, maybe telling a joke as brothers tend to do. James and John working with their father Zebedee in a boat day after day, providing for their family, repairing the net. It's a humble scene repeated the world over in traditional cultures, from the Erie Indians of the past at Lake Erie to tiny Greek villages to inland lakes in Guatemala, ice huts in Alaska. There's nothing more ordinary than sinking a line or casting a net to bring home food for your family until Jesus walks by. And then what is ordinary or silly or necessary or just mundane becomes something else, a different way of seeing the world, a different way of being in the world. Let's look at where Jesus has come from before he arrives at the shore of this particular lake. Jesus had been baptized by John, you'll remember, at the Jordan and called none other than my son, the beloved with whom I am well pleased by the voice of God. Then that wild and holy spirit of God leads the beloved into the wilderness where he encounters temptation and is waited on by angels. And our text today tells us that upon hearing the unwelcome news that John the Baptist has been arrested, that Jesus leaves Nazareth, that he resettles in Capernaum by the Sea of Galilee, an area that was former territory belonging to Zebulun and Naphtali, the two most northerly tribes of ancient Israel. Whenever anyone invaded in those days, they were the first and the last to bear the brunt of it. And even today, it is fairly close to the borders of Syria and Lebanon. It seems this was a chance for Jesus to breathe, a chance for him to regroup. But for our gospel writer, this relocation was also a fulfillment of the ancient prophecy from Isaiah that on the road by the sea across the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, light would dawn. Jesus was preparing the message of God's kingdom to provide light for people living in darkness who would eventually be called far and wide to let their light shine. And that whole idea of being called permeates this passage in different ways. There's the call to John the Baptist to prepare the way for Jesus, a call that ends in imprisonment and death. There's Jesus moving to Galilee, taking an intentional time to listen before he responds to God's call. Then there is Jesus' call to the crowds to perceive and become part of God's in-breaking kingdom right now, followed by his call to a few specific fishermen, those he calls as his disciples to catch up all kinds of people in the ever-widening net of God's grace. Jesus walks by, and all of a sudden, there's a different way of seeing the world, a different way of being in the world. John O'Donohue, who was an Irish poet, author, and priest, wrote, at its heart, the journey of each life is a pilgrimage through unforeseen sacred places 
that enlarge and enrich the soul. And today, I want to think with you about how we walk with Jesus individually and as a church. Does following Jesus give us a different way of seeing the world, a different way of being in the world? This season of the church year we are currently in is a little piece of ordinary time, or what Oliver calls green for growth time, right? Between the anticipation of Christmas and the observance of Lent leading to the celebration of resurrection, in this time, we consider the call to follow Jesus on the way, not because of a star in the sky, but like Simon and Andrew, simply because Jesus has said, follow me. For all the wonder and mystery of Christmas and Easter and the high holy seasons, That's not enough to sustain us in the hard and daily work of our ordinary lives following Jesus. What does sustain us? Those of us gathered here when there is no bright star or waving palms on the road to Jerusalem, how do we tune our hearts to a voice that strikes our ear amidst the ordinariness and announces God is here, God is among us, and God is calling our name? A friend of mine named Laura has long felt God calling her to do something about the struggles of those who experience hunger and homelessness in the Cleveland area, and she's done a wide variety of things. She's Presbyterian. She attends her church almost every Sunday, whether or not she gets something out of the sermon or likes the music that day. The commitment she has made to her local congregation expressed in gifts of time and leadership and the giving of financial resources has given her this strong foundation for hearing God's call in the world. Her most recent effort is to volunteer in the immigration court as an observer. She attends hearings and follows proceedings by case number. Seeing the struggles of non-English speakers in the courtroom has inspired her to learn Spanish so she can be more helpful, and more than once she's brought cookies to the guards and the people who come into court that day and their families. Laura listens for God's call to follow, even when it takes her to unfamiliar places. Another friend, a Presbyterian minister, volunteers during his retirement to tutor third graders on the west side. Recently, they have received 60 new students from Puerto Rico who are struggling to learn even while going through the trauma of separation from their homes and families during the most recent crisis. He listens for God's call to follow, even when that call puts him in places where he hears heartbreaking stories from children. In both those examples, the individuals who followed were, were well-grounded, mature Christians who know themselves to be beloved children of God and who seek out places to serve. But there are so many among us, in and outside church walls, who do not feel that God is calling them who do not think of themselves as beloved children of God. And maybe that even describes some of us from time to time, when we feel ourselves sitting in darkness, when even just a little bit of light piercing through would be welcome. The Talmud tells of a rabbi who was asked what questions a Jew would have to answer at the last judgment. What would God ask? First, the rabbi thought of the obvious things. Were you honest in business? Did you seek wisdom? Did you keep the commandments? And then a question about the Messiah came into his mind that surprised the rabbi himself. God will ask, did you hope for my Messiah? And is that not the same question 
that we should be thinking about. Did you hope for Jesus? Do you long for the kingdom of heaven proclaimed? Do you put your faith in Christ even when you think about giving up? Did you live in Christ's light? Tomorrow I will head out to the desert, literally the high desert of New Mexico, to a conference center owned by the Presbyterian Church called Ghost Ranch. It is a return to the state where I accepted my first call to a church 25 years ago. At the time, my husband was the only one looking for a call. We had just had a baby, and I thought I would wait to be ordained. The church that interviewed him saw he had uh, a wife who was uh, a seminary student and about to graduate and said, would you think about sharing this call? And so that's how we both ended up there, sharing a call as associate pastors. And I don't know what would have happened if I hadn't done it at that time because we had another baby in New Mexico, two more in Florida, and things would have rolled in a way that wouldn't have given me the chance that that church did to, to ordain me early on and to equip me for what was ahead. But it was a surprise for me. This trip is good timing now for me to step away and to notice and give thanks for all that God has done, all God's faithfulness in my life and in the church, and to take some really long walks. During Lent as a church, we will focus on hospitality, on relationships, on slowing down and walking with God. I call that kind of just the basics. So there will be opportunity for you to consider what walking with Jesus means in your life. But for today, while we are paused here at the beginning of Jesus' public ministry, I invite you to just think about those disciples doing these ordinary things of mending and casting their nets and just living their lives until Jesus walks by. I don't know where your lakeshore is, that place where you have heard Jesus call. But wherever it is, I can give you a few hints to recognize his voice. The first is to not be afraid of silence. Listening for God is often way more important than talking to God. And the second is don't try to go it alone. Ask for help when you are in above your head. And the third is expect God to call you right in the middle of your ordinary life, you, all of you, and each of you. Yesterday, our son Brogan ran out of gas at 6 a.m. a few miles from work. This is understandable because he has a truck with a broken gas gauge. So he has to write down the mileage when he fills his tank and then count out how many miles, you know, until it runs out. So it's an imperfect system. So he gets out of his truck to walk these few miles, and he starts, uh, you know, just plodding along in the dark. And as he's walking, a guy named Carlos stops to pick him up and take him to the gas station. He was so grateful. Carlos, ironically, to me at least, as a preacher, is a carpenter in his 30s. And he says he's already late to work, so he might as well stop to help. I couldn't help to think of Carlos as like a Jesus figure, you know, taking my son, dropping him back off with the gas, going on his way, saying to Brogan, pay it forward. 
And sure enough, later that day, Brogan told us, he saw a car stalled near a speedway with a woman inside visibly upset on her cell phone. She'd been stuck in the road for 10 minutes inside of her car. He pulled into the gas station to see if he could find someone to help him push the woman's car to safety. Two guys were pumping gas. One, Brogan said, was older, as old as you are, Dad. That's what he said. <laughs> and he couldn't push because he had a heart problem. That's understandable. The other one, Brogan said, was about 70 with a cast on his right arm. That's what he told me. But he offered to push with his left. Well, Brogan thought, this is what I've got to work with? So the man with the heart problem stopped traffic while Brogan and the one-armed man pushed the car to safety. <laughs> and all was well. It's possible to hear the call of Jesus even in the cluttered busyness of our days. Every moment matters because life is holy, friends. Following Jesus gives us a different way of seeing the world, a different way of being in the world. And if we pay attention, we will see that even as unsurprising a life as most of us think we live is extraordinary if we are paying attention, waking up after a good night's sleep, frying an egg, hugging someone we love, taking a child to school, eating lunch with a friend, trying to do a decent day's work, helping a stranded motorist, reading a good book, reading the good book, going for a walk, praying, thinking. We learn to follow Jesus in simple acts as slowly but surely our priorities change. On that first day of following Jesus, the disciples were clueless and impulsive. They smelled like fish, and they weren't always kind. It's likely Jesus looked at them and thought, this is what I got to work with? But day by day, they put all their effort in, and they learned to be the church. And we are still learning. May God help us to both hear and respond to God's call right in the middle of these ordinary, extraordinary lives. Amen.